0: Dr. Richard Bargis. He's Executive Director of the IFCA International. And uh, we talked about him a little bit yesterday, and and, uh, I can't wait to hear him share again this morning. Thank you for coming. I want to ask you to open your Bible to the book of Galatians this morning. Galatians, we're going to be looking at Galatians 5.16. Now, I am a resident of Michigan. It's not quite feeling like home yet. I've only been there a few years, but um, my family, um, my immediate family, and extended family, my wife's immediate and extended family has always lived in California for many generations, And so, having lived in California for our whole lives, um, we have a great love for the ocean. We lived right near the ocean on a peninsula overlooking the sea. We loved spending our time there, Um, and we do miss it, although um, Lake Michigan is beautiful and it's vast, it almost looks like the ocean, it is not the ocean, and um, we do miss it. But not only is it beautiful, we're also very much aware that the The sea is very dangerous as well. It's very dangerous. I remember one time as a young man out there in the ocean, and as I was swimming there, um, saw that a very large wave was coming my way and decided that I was going to dive underneath it to make sure that I avoided being rolled around um, in the water, which I've had happen. It's not, not a pleasant thing. And as I did that, I didn't realize that right after I would come up, there would be another wave that would be right behind it, and I didn't see it. I came out of the water, and the, I was facing the wrong way, and the wave came and just hit me from behind and knocked me deep into the water, twirled me around quite a bit so that I was um, completely caught off guard. I thought I was going to drown, as a matter of fact. I I opened my eyes underwater, I could see all the white swirling bubbles of this wave. I could see the the sand underneath and rock, and um, it held me down for quite a bit. And when I popped out of the water, uh, gasping for breath, I was so thankful to God that He didn't take me home to be with Him in that moment. And the reason I'm telling you that is because as I started to panic and wonder if I was going to be able to hold my breath long enough, I, you know, you start to realize how desperately we need to breathe. I mean, I, breathing is not an optional thing. It's not that, I'm a fan of air, right? It's not that. I mean, we need to breathe. We have to breathe. We desperately want to breathe. And the need to breathe, brothers and sisters, is a picture of extreme dependence. It's something that we cannot do without. I mean, if anything, with the problems that are um, caused by COVID and its relationship to our lungs, we know that we depend upon our every breath. Extreme dependence. It's a good picture for us when we consider our need for our triune God in every aspect of life. Everything in our life is dependent on God. Now, as I stand up here, as I... Uh, speak to you, I'm breathing. And it's really easy for you to forget until something desperate happens where you feel like I'm not going to be able to breathe. But most of the time, we're breathing with no issues, no problems. There's no laboring for our breath. And so we completely forget. The fact is that every breath that you draw, even as you sit here this morning, is dependent upon God. And so what I want us to look at today and think about is this need, this dependence on our God on an everyday basis, and how the Word and the Spirit work together in bringing about our sanctification, our growth in holiness. Now, as I was thinking through this uh, whole topic of feeding the flock um, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing to try to figure out how to cover a subject, um, not only to cover it adequately, but also to think about maybe the pieces of how this all works together. And so as I thought through my messages, um, I thought through this. Uh, you know, I talked last night from Nehemiah chapter 8 about becoming a better Bible student. And I relate this to, if we're talking about maybe the the process of our bodies, and eating, and uh, sustaining our strength, uh, last night's message would have taught us something like this, that you need to learn to feed yourself better. You need to learn to feed yourself better. You, you um, spiritually, just like physically, in other words, if, if you're like me when my wife is away, although my mother adequately taught me how to cook, I often don't do that, you know, it's cookies and chips for dinner, because... I don't want to take out pots and pans because after I do that, then I got to wash them and all that extra stuff. So if we relate that to spiritual things, last night's message was you can do better. We need to do better. We need to serve ourselves better food. And so if you're, if you're not a good cook, then you need to learn how to cook. And that means you need to sit down with Pastor Bob and say, teach me how to study the Bible. And he will gladly do that. That means you don't know how to cook. You're just used to somebody feeding you all the time, and that's not enough. But if you already know how to cook, sometimes we get to the cookies and chips stage. We're like, yeah, I know how to study my Bible. It's just so much work. I'd rather just snack. I'd rather have Twinkies for my spiritual life. Well, you need to, you need to feed yourself better. This message out of Galatians 5.16 is really going to be, in this picture, a look at how the food that we consume is digested, and becomes muscle that we might go out and do the work. Now, we just had the Olympics, and elite athletes do not get to the Olympics on the fuel of Twinkies and donuts. I like Twinkies and donuts. I'm never getting to the Olympics, though. That's just the reality. Even if I ate better, I wouldn't get to the Olympics. But those are elite athletes who know what their bodies need so they can produce the muscle, the energy, and that can expand into the way that they use their bodies for their sports. And so as we study this today, as we learn how to depend upon the Spirit, we're going to take the food that we are hopefully going to begin to prepare for ourselves of the Word of God and know how does that play itself out in living out my daily life. And then the message that will come after this one will be in um, in a different book. We're going to be talking about the cooks that prepare the meal. Now, sometimes it's going to be you. You're going to be the cook that's going to prepare your own meals. But then there are Sunday school teachers, and then there are our Bible teachers, and then there are pastors, and there are elders, and there are others that lead Bible studies of different kinds. And we're going to look at the cook. So we're going to go into the kitchen, and we're going to make sure that they're preparing it right. Because we want to make sure that what we put into our heart, like what we put into our mouth, is the best quality and won't sicken us and won't poison us. Now, I like food, and that's the reason why I'm talking in food relations. And I know church people like food, too. And it's easy to get across the point when I start talking about food. I told you, I think that somewhere written in... I haven't found it yet. There's potlucks in the scriptures And I'm I'm sure that we all understand that, what I'm talking about. Now, here's a wonderful thing as we get back to the subject of the dependence on God, just the way we depend upon breathing, is that God works in us. He does His work through us. He takes His Word and uses it in our lives. And I'm so thankful for that, that God didn't just save you. He didn't just save me and say, All right, brother, you're on your own. I'll see you in heaven. I'm so thankful he didn't just say, I, I, I got you out of the mess you were in. You were going to hell. Now you're going to heaven. You're now my child, but you're like an adult child. I don't want to have anything to do with you until you come back. No, God says, I saved you. I'm going to walk you all the way till you get to be with me. And growing in holiness, thankfully, is not through that hit and miss method. You know, Let's just keep trying it. The school of hard knocks. You ever been there? You figure out it doesn't work, so you try a different way, and after you've bumped into another dead end, you've hit another pothole in life, it's all collapsed on you one more time. You're like, that's not the way to go. That's a frustrating way to live life. And God doesn't want that for us either. When he, he has us on this path of eternal life, he says, I want to walk you through this path. I want you to get there. He's our biggest fan in this way. He's given us lots of resources. And today, when we're going to look at this, the important ones, two of the most important ones, are His Word, this is the feeding of the flock part, and His Holy Spirit. There's an interchange. Pastor Bob yesterday and myself last night, we talked about the need for the Word. But it's not you and the Bible. It's not just you and the Bible. It's you and the Word of God and His Holy Spirit. And that's not all either, because we could throw the church in there as well. But we're going to talk about God and His Spirit. Because the problem is, for many of us, we can go back to our former way of living. It's not hard for us to slide to back into old sinful habits. And I'll tell you this, to live a completely independent life Self-dependent is what it really is, is sin. The old idea of you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps is not a biblical idea. God wants us to depend upon him. And whether you want to recognize that or not, it's like me. I thought, I don't need any help. I'm not on a lung machine. I'm not on a respirator. I don't need any help breathing. Being underwater and thinking that that wave is going to hold you underwater, let me know. Oh no, I need help. Big time. We all need it. We have to be not self dependent, but spirit dependent. We can't live a life that says, I don't really need the Holy Spirit in my life. Because God wants us to be dependent upon Him. And by the way, your dependence doesn't become less and less, it becomes greater and greater. It should grow as you grow in Christ. It's just like John the Baptist said, in John 3.30 he said, about Christ, he must increase, I must decrease. And so must we. We must grow in Christ. And as we grow in Christ, it, it becomes something where people see less of us and more of Jesus. But we need to see that this all begins with Dependence upon the Spirit on a daily basis. You know, I had a guy in our church ask me one day why God allowed his children to go through hardships if he truly loves us. He's a really smart guy, really smart. He works in the aerospace industry. He's, a, he's an engineer, and he just, he just thinks. He doesn't think biblically, though. He thinks logically. He thinks, we could say it, worldly. It's worldly wisdom. He said, if God is in control of all things, and God can do anything, then why does God allow me to go through problems? Why doesn't He just take them away if He truly loves us? Why not just remove all trials and all pain? Isn't He able? Well, absolutely, He is able. He could remove us. He could remove from us all troubles, all struggles with sin. He could have ordained that at the moment you were saved, you were instantly translated up into heaven. You said, Lord, save me from my sins. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and took my place and that my sins have been forgiven. And boom, at that moment, maybe after amen, you're up, you're gone, you're out of here. But that's not what he did. He didn't choose to do it that way. He left us here as pilgrims. He wants us to grow in holiness and trust. And all those sins that so easily beset us give us an opportunity to depend upon God daily in order to put death to, sin, uh, put to death our sin so that we will see the power of God as we find victory in our lives. Now, as we look at Galatians chapter 5, if you're familiar with this book, and I know Pastor Courtney preached on Galatians a few years ago, As you think about the main theme of this letter of Paul to the churches in Galatia, it is true that the main idea of the book of Galatians is that the true gospel of salvation is salvation, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Paul absolutely smashes the idea that we can contribute in any way to our justification. And anyone that injects any human work into their understanding of the gospel and actually is preaching a different gospel than the true one, and that they are accursed. The law enslaves. The gospel sets free. That's the big message. But Paul also knew something else of human nature. He knew that some will run from one extreme to the other extreme. And that's always a danger for us. The pendulum will swing from one side all the way to the other side. The opposite extreme of legalism is licentiousness. It's immorality, it's debauchery under the guise of Christian freedom. And if you were to move from legalism to licentiousness, that's just as enslaving It's just as deadly as moralistic self-righteousness. And so Paul knew, knew this. So instead, Paul says, Freedom in Christ is not freedom to sin, but a freedom from being enslaved to our lusts. We are now set free to serve others and not ourselves. Holiness is a work of God. We can't achieve it on our own strength. We're dependent on Him. But that does not mean we just sit back. We just let go and let God. That our sanctification requires no effort on our part. And verse 16 simply says this. Let me read it for you. It is our passage. Paul says, But I say... Notice in contrast to what comes before. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We need to walk by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. That's what the command is. We need to do it. Walk in the Spirit. And in doing so, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. They're mutually exclusive. Do you understand this? I cannot go into a room and it be both pitch black and well lit. It is either the lights are on or the lights are off. There is no such thing as a person who is walking in the spirit while they commit adultery. There is no such thing as a person who is walking in the spirit while they engage in gossip. There's no such thing as a person who is walking in the Spirit while they are hateful and angry. They're mutually exclusive. Notice that word. It's in verse 16. Paul uses it a lot. Not just in this letter, but in other letters elsewhere. But I say, walk. Walk is a command. God is commanding us to walk by the Spirit. And I point that out because you need to know this morning that as a Christian, walking by the Spirit is not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not just a good tip. It's not advice I'm giving to you. It's not counsel I'm leaving with you. You can take it or leave it. We must walk by the Spirit. And so we really need to get this right, don't we? When God says something, we want to make sure... We not only understand it, but that we obey it. Now, in our time, I want to unpack this simple verse. I mean, it's simple to understand. But I think we need more than this verse to understand it and apply it. And since Scripture does help explain and interpret Scripture, we're going to look at other passages to fill in our understanding. Because Scripture explains what it means to live, or that is to to walk by the Spirit. Because sometimes people interject things that are not biblical ideas. They put into what it means to be a Spirit-led believer into mystical terms that um, are beyond our understanding. Like, I don't know what it means to walk in the Spirit. Does that mean I have to speak in tongues? Does that I have to be flamed in the Spirit? Does that mean I'm a next-level believer? And I don't have to do this until I get to that level? No, it doesn't mean any of that. I have good news. It's not impossible to walk in the Spirit. It's not. We can actually walk in this way. So this morning and this time that we have, the Holy Spirit, we're going to see walks, uh, works in us in at least four major ways as we depend upon Him. Okay? Okay. Four major ways that he's going to teach us that. So let's look at the first one. I'm going to have you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 to 16. Here's how the Spirit works as we walk in the Spirit. Here's how he helps us to do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. And the lesson is here for us on the screen. It's that He illumines, the Spirit illumines or illuminates our minds to understand the truth of Scripture. Now, last night I told us of the need to get into it, to dig deeper in the Scripture. And part of that I shared with you but didn't go into much depth is that God will help us. Well, here is how God helps us. Because you need to understand the Bible before you can obey the Bible. Notice what it says there. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? Well, the natural man spoken of there, the one that's not born again, can't understand the things that come from the Spirit of God. But the regenerate man, the man that has been born again, with this Spirit's ministry understands what God has freely given to us I remember sitting in an English class in high school and we had to write a paper on some English literature book that was it was supposed to be one of these high-minded philosophical type books where you read it and uh, you then you wrote what the actual meaning was and I remember getting a poor grade on one of those papers you know it was I don't remember what the book was anymore but it was one of those books where it's like well there's a a man with a puppy, and he's walking along the beach. And, you know, at the end of the beach, something happens. And, and 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 I interpret it as, well, there's a guy, he's walking on a beach, you know, and he's got this puppy, and, you know, and he said, no, 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 you missed it all. The puppy is communism. And you're like, what? Where did that come from? You know, and, and I always thought, I wish I just had the author sitting right next to me. And I remember reading a story of this person that was an author, and her book was assigned to students in literature classes in college. And that she took an exam, because she was interested in seeing how she would do on her own book, and didn't get a passing grade on the exam on her own book. That the professor was teaching that the book meant something that she never intended it to mean. she said, this is ridiculous. This is not what I meant in my book. And And what Paul is saying is, you want to understand the book Well, guess what? The author lives in you. The author does not live in the unregenerate man. Your unsaved family member, your unsaved friends and neighbors and co-workers, they don't get the book because they don't have the author. But we do. He opens up our understanding. The Puritan scholar John Owen wrote in his book on the Holy Spirit this, about this ministry. He says, The word itself barely proposed to the minds of men, will not so affect them. To confirm this, only consider the preaching of the prophets of old, of Jesus Christ himself, and of the apostles. And among ourselves, many sit all their days under the preaching of the gospel and feel feel none of these effects. While others, their associates in hearing, are really affected. They're convinced and converted, it is therefore the ministry of the Spirit in and by the Word, which produces all or any of these effects. As a pastor, I know that when I preach, that there are times when when I speak, I may not be clear, I may not be as articulate as I try to be. My understanding may not be always correct. Sometimes it's just a hot mess. Every preacher has bad days. Every preacher lays eggs. But there are some times when that happens where I have people come to me and say, that was your best sermon, pastor. And you're like, no, were you, were you awake? I want to do this as I get out of the pulpit. I just want to flink away. But the Spirit is using His Word in the heart of that Christian And he's applying it. And then there are some, when the word is clear and accurate, it is sharper than a two-edged sword, but the heart is hard like rock because they're an unbeliever. And no matter how simple, no matter how clear, no matter how accurate, no matter how passionate, it comes out. I I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand what this is all about. I remember we had a lady in our church named Charmaine who, she asked me a sincere question. She said, Pastor, let me ask you this. She was African-American and she said, "Um, I know a lot of Jewish people that are really, really smart. Really, really smart. How come the Jews don't accept Jesus as their Messiah? I said, Charmaine, my dear sister, it has nothing to do with how smart they are. It has everything to do with the heart of stone that still exists. I said, do you remember? Because one day she said, Pastor, how come everybody doesn't want to come to church? She lived only a couple blocks away from our church. We had met her and, and brought her the gospel by knocking on doors. We got to her door. She opened it. We explained the gospel to her. She started coming to church and eventually became a believer. And uh, she, she didn't have a lot of money. She was actually living with a friend. And so she'd walk to church. And we just tried to help her and take care of her and love her all we could. And one day in a new member's class, she was talking. She said, Pastor, I was walking to church today and there's people washing their cars. They're leaving to go to the beach. They're doing all this stuff. How come everybody doesn't want to come and worship Jesus? I said, well, Charmaine, how come it wasn't until we came to your house and told you about Jesus that you didn't want to come worship Jesus? She stopped and said, that's a good question. I said, because it's not the clarity of the message. It's the hardness of the heart. And when God takes that heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, it becomes sensitive. Owen's words are, it affects us. And we hear it. The work of the Holy Spirit in illuminating or illuminating our minds to understand that the truth of the Bible, that is indispensable for anyone who wants to walk in the Spirit. That's foundational for us. And if you're not a believer, you will never be able to walk in the Spirit because you don't even have the Spirit. But if you are, then we need to pray, Oh Lord, like the psalmist, open my eyes that I can see the wonderful things that are in your Word. Help me to see it. It means we need to open our Bibles in dependence upon the Spirit to help us to understand it. Some Christians don't like to study their Bibles. Some find Bible, the Bible hard to understand. We need the Spirit to illumine our minds. To the truth of the Bible, so we can understand it and put it into practice. That is a normal thing. You need to know that. You need to know that if you open your Bible and you don't get it, sometimes our hearts are cold. Sometimes it's, it is hard. I'm so thankful that there are passages that Peter says, or the things that Paul writes are difficult. I'm like, thank you, Peter. <laughs> Helps me to feel not dumb when I open my Bible sometimes. But that's the reality. There are many times when I've studied the Bible and I open it up and i read it, I've translated it, I've diagrammed it, I've taken out the commentaries and I'm still scratching my head after hours of studying. I don't know. I don't know what this means. And that stinking clock on the wall tells me Sunday's coming. Lord, help me. We need to be that dependent on the Spirit. It should start there, not end there. Start there. So I sit down, I open my Bible and before I start reading it, I just sit there and go, God, Help me. Speak to me your word. We have to put in the effort, though. I didn't say, God, speak to me your word, and then take a nap on my Bible. It didn't work in geometry class. It still doesn't work in Bible study. You actually have to study it for ourselves. But the author of the word will help us to understand by shedding light upon it. It's the first lesson. If we're going to depend on the spirit, we also need to know that the spirit empowers us to become conformed into the image of Christ. You're in uh, you were in 1 Corinthians. Go over to 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3:18. Paul says something interesting there to the church I'm always encouraged when I see these things in the books of First and Second Corinthians, knowing how messed up that church was, that God is so good that he, keep, he keeps speaking these truths even to that messed up church. It reminds me that when I'm, I'm not right there where I should be, that God still cares and loves me and he's ministering to me the way he ministered to them through the Apostle Paul's writing. So Second Corinthians 3.18, Paul says this, and we all, speaking of the church, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is the ministry of the Spirit here that He's empowering us. Paul's reference here in this chapter is of the glory of God that made Moses' face light up when he came out from visiting the Lord in the tent of meeting. You remember that? Everybody would stand out at the front of their tent as Moses walked by. Then he'd go into the tent. The Shekinah glory would descend. They would go in the tent. He would go in the tent. Uh, people would just stand there in awe. And then Moses would come out. The first time he did it, he wasn't covered, and it, you know everybody was scared. I'm sure we would have been scared as well. And then he veiled his face so they wouldn't be frightened until this glow of the holiness of God would kind of diminish That's that's the picture that um, Paul is referencing from the Old Testament. And Paul is sharing with his readers that Jesus Christ has a greater glory that has been revealed. Transformation comes when we look into the face of Jesus Christ and we behold his glory. That's what he's telling us. In Romans 8.29, Paul tells us that those whom God foreknew and predestined to salvation are also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Let me read it to you. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And the reason I'm telling you that is because you need to know that God doesn't save some and they don't eventually become conformed. He predestines those whom he foreknew. Foreknowledge, predestined, he saves to be conformed into his image. So if it, he says that in Romans 8, How are we conformed to the image of Christ? Well, Paul tells us that a little bit later. In Romans chapter 12, in verse 2, it says this. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be squished into its mold but be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The Bible renews our minds. It transforms our thinking. It transforms our attitudes. And it transforms our lifestyles. This is how we're renewed This is how we're made holy. But the Spirit does more. So He illumines our minds and then He empowers us to become like God. He shows us in His Word, helps us understand what that means and how we need to change. But He does more. Thirdly, the Spirit convicts us of sin. He convicts us of sin. John chapter 16, notice what it says there. Verses 7 and 8, very familiar to us. John 16, 7 and 8. Jesus speaking here, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away, speaking of his crucifixion and ascension, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, the Spirit. But if I go away... I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgments. You know, if you can think back to before you became a believer, we didn't have much care about our sin, we didn't think about it very much. Uh, Usually, our pain was from remorse. For the consequences of our sin. It was possibly pain from the guilt associated with our sin. It most often was not pain because we'd offended a holy God. It's because we got caught with our hand in the cookie jar and there was a consequence to it. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit pointed out our guilt before God that we saw our need for a Savior. God brings conviction to us. It may have come in a friend talking to us and sharing with us the gospel. It may have come from a gospel tract. It may have come through hearing the word preached at a church service. It may have come in the quiet stillness of the night as you're pondering your life and the Spirit brings to you the remembrance of a Christian song or some idea that you got somewhere that points to your guilt. The Holy Spirit uses lots of different ways but He is the one that brought us our understanding of our guilt of sin. So we turn from our sins. We came to Christ for forgiveness. We're saved. But this is not a secret. We haven't stopped sinning completely, have we? And so the Holy Spirit's ministry begins by bringing unbelievers to understand their sinfulness, but it doesn't stop when you become a believer the Holy Spirit continues to convict us of our sins because we're still tempted and tried. We all fail to do things we ought not to do. And we all too often fail to do things we know we should do. And the Spirit's work continues. He convicts us of both kinds of wrongs. And then He convinces us that we ought to be walking in holiness as He is holy. Remember, we know Him as the Holy Spirit. The Spirit can do this through the power of changing our inner convictions. Where we realize we ought to do or not do something, and by making us feel that conviction and our remorse about our actions, we are commanded not to quench the spirits. In other words, don't put... Tape over the light that is telling you to check your engine. You will be sorry if you do that. The Spirit is constantly working on us through the Word that's been made clear. It's been illumined. He's given you the power. Change this thing. And He's convicting And it's here that we once again see how the Spirit and the Word work together. The Spirit applies the Word of God as a balm to our souls. Sometimes we need soothing. We need this balm, this lotion, to soothe the wounds that have come into our lives. But at other times, the Spirit applies the Word to our lives in a way that stings. And we need that too. For those of you who are younger, you won't remember this because rightfully so, I think they outlawed it. I don't know if it's literally outlawed, but they should have. How many of you guys remember growing up? I remember when I go to my grandma's house, I'd skin my knee and she'd pull out this little glass bottle called Mercurochrome. You're all laughing because you know what that meant. I'd rather suffer with a bad infection. Cut my leg off, Grandma. Don't put Mercurochrome on it because that little red liquid stung like the dickens they put that stuff on there and it, oh and you know you blow on it to make it feel better <laughs> you know when david committed his sin against god with bathsheba he was deeply wounded by conviction I believe it was brought about a year from when he committed the sin to when he was actually brought under conviction by Nathan approaching him. But I don't think that he was without conviction all the way. He was sick. Sin makes you miserable. It promises and it never delivers. And he was so convicted. And we have to understand that sin is like breaking of bones and that confronting our sin by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in his word is like setting that bones so it will those bones so they will heal and we won't be hobbled for life. I was with somebody in the emergency room after they'd broken their arm. They'd, it was a compound fracture. The bone was it hadn't quite broken through, but it was I mean it was leaning out big time. He knew it was broken. They had been heavily sedated, and then they, two doctors, one held the hand, the other one took the crook of the arm and pulled down so they could take these bones that were really out of alignment and pulled them straight and then reconnected them. The person that was so sedated didn't realize I was sitting outside the room, I was in the room, but I was right on the other side of a curtain, was moaning at this incredible pain. And afterwards, they were so sedated, they didn't realize they had been moaning and in great pain. They just said, I did good, right? I was like, oh yeah, you did did perfect. It was horrible to have to listen to on the other side of that curtain because they could tell the agony. But you know, I couldn't even imagine leaving that bone like that. The spirit may bring pain. It may be applying the balm of the Word in a way that stings. It may be like setting a broken bone but it's always good for us. And we need it. We need to depend on the Spirit in this way. The Spirit works in our hearts to cause us to work to do, want to do the things that God wants us to do as well. This is the fourth. This is our last. The Spirit works in our hearts to cause us to want to do the things that God wants us to do. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 It says, for it is God who works in you. I love this wording. Listen to it. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The desire to live for God actually comes from God himself. This is why I said, when you don't feel like reading your Bible, pray God, help me to want to read my Bible. He doesn't want you just mumbling and complaining and like the children of Israel and just, I'm getting through it. I'm going to eat this horrible manna again. No, He wants you to desire Him. And He wants us to pray when we don't feel it. There are these encouraging words as well from Hebrews 13. Listen as I read it. It's verses 20 and 21. It says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice in that prayer that it's God who not only equips the saints, but he does it in order that they may do his will. And we need to pray like this. Pray like this not only for ourselves, but pray like this for others. We want to pray that others desire to walk with God in the Spirit. Pray that we would want to walk with God in the Spirit. Now, from these scriptural truths, we can conclude several things that are true of walking and living by the Spirit. So living by the Spirit means that we first, we need to pray Pray to the Lord and ask Him to illumine our minds to His truth, empower us to change, uh, empower us to convict us of sin, and place godly desires in us. That's a lot. But it's basically taking all that I've just said, and we need to say to God, God, I want that. I want that. I want to understand Your Word. I want You to empower me. I want You to change my desires. I want all of this. Help me. So we need to pray if we believe that its source is found in God Himself, then we have to go to Him and ask Him. We need the Spirit to show us clearly in His Word what we need to understand. After He's shown us what we need to understand, we need Him to give us the power to change how we live by showing us our sins, showing us the pathway to pursuing holiness, We need the Spirit's help in doing all of this. We might pray something like David prayed in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, where he says, I don't know, this is kind of a a crazy, radical prayer, but I think we ought to pray these kinds of prayers. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. O God, do an inventory of my heart. And when you start finding the rottenness there, pull it out, show it to me, show me from your word, and then help me change. Secondly, living by the Spirit means that we read the scriptures so that the Holy Spirit has something to work with. So we need to pray because we're dependent on God, and then we need to Load up on scriptures. We need him to work in us, but to do that, he needs the word of God in our heart and mind, illuminating, convicting, empowering, and changing us. He needs raw materials in order to affect our heart and mind. I like um, watching the TV show Forged in Fire. Um, it's a competition show where blacksmiths compete against one another. They make knives and all kinds of weapons daggers and swords Um, within an allotted time they give them a time they give them the raw steel and they go for it and they compete against each other for who makes the best of these weapons it's kind of like my wife's show which is the great british bake-off but instead of making cupcakes they make stuff that you can kill each other with (laughs) which in a a house full of women is is something i need i need i need something manly And, you know, to to make the sword, the competitors need raw materials. They need some steel. You can't make a sword if you don't have steel. And although Spirit can make you holy without you studying the Word, that's not normally how He works. He says, I need you to study the Word. One German Protestant reformer named Johannes Brenz, he said it in this way, because the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, When the desires of the flesh start stirring in us, we must have recourse to the Word of God. And the host of carnal desires will be defeated by that sword of the Spirit. And that effort begins with reading the Bible. Not mowing through the chapters, slowly studying, stockpiling that which God can use. Thirdly, living by the Spirit means that we live by faith. Meaning we believe the truth we understand. We maintain faith in God's promises. We acknowledge God's complete goodness. And that's hard sometimes. That means we need to accept the fact that everything He asks of us is so that either He can give us something that is good or so that He can keep from us something that will harm us. It's like We, we know of calling God omnipotent. He's all-powerful omniscient, he's all-knowing. You need to memorize this theological word, omnibenevolent. He is all good. And when you read the Bible, it will help you to know this God, and that will call you to live by faith. We're free in Christ, remember? That's the message of Galatians. And we need to live in that freedom from sin. One wise Christian from the past wrote this, this, The spiritual person is not free from the lust of the flesh, but he does not let them control him, which is what gratifying their desires amounts to. We need to fight sin and live by faith. We need to resist temptation, and we need to confess our failings. We need a real, living, and active faith. And daily, not just talk, action. And it's not just Sundays; it's every day. Finally, living by the Spirit means we obey the Lord in all things. Our faith is manifested by obedience. If we believe God, we obey Him. If we don't obey Him, it's because we don't really believe Him in that moment. It may not be overall, but we do see that in people like Peter, who in the moment when he's asked about following Jesus, he denies Him. In the moment, he didn't believe Jesus. He didn't believe him. In the moment, Abraham didn't trust God when he gave up his wife, Sarah, and said, she's just my sister. Now, overall, that's not all of his faith. But in the moment, he acted like an unbeliever. We must trust and obey. Augustine wrote in his great book, Confessions, grant what you command and command what you desire. And from that, he meant that God has to grant us the power to fulfill what He demands in His Word because we depend upon Him. We need the Spirit's empowering. He commands what He desires, but we can't do it in our own strength. So He empowers us to obey Him. And what we've seen is that God has changed our hearts so we can obey Him in the power of the Spirit. But the ability is not the same as obedience. It's the difference between the words can and may. Can we obey? Yes. God has saved his children, so we can walk in obedience. We have the ability to obey. We can. We can do what God says. He gave us his spirit. We're assured that we can. The question for us is will we? Will we obey? He he has given all of his children the ability and the permission. Yes, we may. That's walking by the Spirit. It's nothing mystical. It's like the Puritans called it, holy sweat. God empowers us, we work at it. And may the Lord begin to teach us and move us to that end. One last thing. It's quite possible that by your constant lifestyle of sin, your inability to put death to death your sin, that you show you can't stop living in sin. Maybe you've tried. I've known lots of pastors in Utah that their ministry is to people who conform on the outside and they're trying so hard to look like godly people, but they don't have the spirit in them. And so it's not possible. And many people in Utah that are of the Mormon religion They give up. They either leave Mormonism or they crack. The suicide rate in Salt Lake City is the highest in the nation because they can't handle the stress of trying to live in their own power at a standard that they cannot keep without the Holy Spirit in them. And maybe you've tried and tried and tried and you keep on failing. If your life is marked by failure after failure to live up to God's standards, let me say this. Talk to somebody about it. You see, the gospel isn't about what you have done. It's not about what you can do. It's about what Christ has done and what he continues to do in you and through you because of his finished work on the cross of Calvary. It's as the old song says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Because of that, we who are believers can walk in the Spirit. But if you don't know Christ and you're trying to live a moral life, it will end in shipwreck because you just can't do it. Come to Christ. Cast your cares upon him. Give up your self-righteousness which is all like filthy rags to God, and say, Jesus, I give up. Save me from myself. Save me from my sin. He will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to once again highlight the ministry of your Word and Spirit. We do pray that you would help us, Lord God. Help us that we might give, live lives that are pleasing to you and give you honor and glory. We thank you for all the provision that you have made so that we can live in this way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.